This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Wednesday, August the 31st, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go! Always have to have a little more pep in the go on the last day of a month. Speaking of the end of the month, next month, September is Guide Dog Access Awareness Month. We'll look ahead with Larissa Proctor of the CNIB. Starlink is partnering with T-Mobile to expand cellular access in remote areas in the United States. Mike Agarbo will tell you more and discuss the implications for Canadian remote areas. There are some short-form podcasts that explore issues related to disability. Amy Amanti has the inside scoop on 22%. And you know we love talking about food on this show. And we also love talking about art. Clover Thursday will explore how food and art intersect. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and we'll start in federal politics. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will swap two ministers within his cabinet in a mini-shuffle. Emily Javesky has more. Rideau Hall this morning for a swearing-in ceremony with Governor General Mary Simon. Four sources with knowledge of the plan tell the Canadian press the shuffle is coming at the request of Procurement Minister Philomena Tassi. They say the Hamilton, Ontario MP asked Trudeau for a lighter workload because of a family health matter. The shuffle comes one week before a cabinet retreat in Vancouver and one month before the House of Commons resumes sitting following the summer break. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press. While we're talking about federal politics, the federal government will invest more than $2 billion to build 17,000 homes across the country. Ottawa's Rapid Housing Initiative will be extended for a third round to build 4,500 affordable housing units. At least another 10,800 homes will, will be built through the Affordable Housing Innovation Fund. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says 6,000 of them will be affordable units. Tackling housing affordability is a complex problem, and there is no one silver bullet. The fact is, simplistic solutions are simply not going to solve the problem. The group of policies also includes a new five-year rent-to-own program. Applications can be submitted immediately. Let's shift over to provincial politics. The final debate for the UCP leadership in Alberta was held last night. Nicole Reese recaps the proceedings. Danielle Smith was criticized for her proposed Alberta Sovereignty Act, which would grant the province the right to ignore federal laws and court rulings. Smith has in recent weeks downplayed the act, labeling it a symbolic document to seek rights provinces such as Quebec are employing. But she has stressed her Alberta will refuse to enforce federal rules, particularly in areas like COVID-19 health restrictions. Voting begins later this week and the winner will be announced October 6th. Nicole Reese, the Canadian Press. And while we're talking about provincial leaders, Ontario Premier Doug Ford met with the Prime Minister at the provincial legislature. Ford says the leaders discussed a number of priorities at the hour-long meeting. I thought we had a very productive uh, meeting. There's, there's four areas that uh, we, we focused on. is, is uh, healthcare is probably number one priority. Uh, housing is another high priority. Uh, immigration and infrastructure, those are, those are four key areas that uh, we talked about. 
You heard the Premier mention that healthcare was the top priority. The Premier feels the way health is delivered, the way health deliver is delivered has to change. We agree that the status quo is not working. Uh, we keep pouring billions and billions of dollars into health care. Increased health care spending since I've been in office by about $14.5 billion. And we have 50 uh, hospitals and additions to hospitals and $40 billion. But we do have to deliver it uh, differently. Let's head out to British Columbia, where that province posted an unexpected $1.3 billion surplus last year. Finance Minister Selena Robinson detailed some of the underlying factors. The economy reopened faster and grew at a stronger rate than anyone in the public or private sector had anticipated. Revenues improved over the year as the economy recovered and expenses increased as government delivered further pandemic and recovery programs. Robinson points out that a government surplus does not diminish the economic conditions facing people in this moment. This is a report out of how we did with the last fiscal. Uh, we are in a new fiscal year and in a new fiscal time and, uh, and monitoring very carefully to make sure that we're continuing to deliver for British Columbians. New Brunswick's surplus is projected to be more than $135 million in the first quarter of this fiscal year. Finance Minister Ernie Steves credits the increase in revenues to government collecting more tax dollars because of a stronger economy and population growth. But much like his counterpart in BC, Steves points out that economic conditions on the ground are far from ideal despite the surplus. The effects of COVID-19 are absolutely real. Inflation is at a rate not seen in, in 40 years. There's widespread labor shortages. Total expenses are projected to be higher than budgeted by $119.9 million. And shifting to international politics, former leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, has passed away at 91 years old. Former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney says Gorbachev will be sorely missed. President Gorbachev will go down in history as an iconic leader uh, and one who accomplished uh, a great deal for humanity. Gorbachev won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1990 for his role in ending the Cold War and easing nuclear tensions. Here's the sound from that ceremony held 32 years ago. Nobel Committee has decided to award the 1990 Nobel Peace Prize to Michael Sergeyevich Gorbachev, President of the Soviet Union, for his leading role in the peace process, which today characterize important part of the international community. Let's get to our daily polls. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Tuesday, we asked you what features would make a restaurant experience more inclusive and comfortable for you. 15.8% of you said large print menus. 5.3% of you said lower tables. 31.6% of you said wider pathways. 47.4% of you said less noise. I'm telling you, sound design in these places needs to be better. You've got to absorb that sound into the walls with some paneling and get a good PA system. And don't blast the music so that nobody can hear anything. Great bars and great restaurants are about conversation, not terrible pop music. Rebecca on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. writes in wheelchair accessible tables. Some places just have booths. And Rebecca also says pictures on the menu would be appreciated. I like that too. I like being able to see what I'm about to eat. Yeah, Saint Hubert does that really well.
getting a little love for St. Bear. At AMI Audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Today's Daily Poll, I know I've asked you this before in some form of iteration, but because of the perpetual musical chairs that we play on this show, I get to hear new perspectives from our inter- interior crew, and I know you want to jump in and talk about this on social media. So at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, do you find yourself buying more generic brands to save money? Yes or no. As I've mentioned a couple times over the last few days, we're going to hear lots from Eliza Rocco over the course of the next couple of weeks. So Eliza, how about you? Do you find yourself uh, trying to save a little bit of money by buying more generic brands? Oh, of course, Dave. I would say I mainly buy generic brands. There's a couple things where you're like, I need the brand name for this. For me, that is mainly Kraft Dinner. You've got to get the Kraft Dinner brand. <laughs> okay, <thing>. fair, fair. <laughs> but other than that, I'm just like, this is all the same. You know, like na- no-name products, for example, mm-hmm. they're the same. And they're much cheaper, so I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I go even beyond food on this one and say that I've started to really make moves on a lot of generic clothing. Mm-hmm. Although as a bigger guy, uh, there's not necessarily a lot of generic clothing in my size, but there's a couple stores that I like to shop at. But even then, some of those prices have gone up. Shirts that used to cost uh, $19.99 or $17.99 are now up to $28.99 or $29.99. So the, the prices are going up there too, even on some of those generics. But Eliza, I'm with you. Uh, there's a couple things where I, was, where I say, listen, I've, I've just got to spend the extra dollar or two on this and that's things like uh i mean i'm not a big cosmetics head but deodorant soap shampoo these are things that i use every day that i kind of require a certain sense of quality i can't be playing guessing games with deodorants oh no 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 i i need i need my one brand of deodorant i know it works (laughs) That's it. I, yeah. I can't. I can't trust other brands with such important things. Listen, y'all have to spend a lot of time around me, so there would be complaints to HR if I didn't have you know the appropriate products for these things. Eliza, thank you for this. We'll come back to you for the weather in just a moment, but let's head down the highway and talk to Mike Ross. Mike, I know I've asked you some form of iteration on this question before, but it's always worth revisiting. So, do you find yourself drifting more towards some generic brands, whether it be clothing, food, etc.? say more um and i'm going to strictly talk about the food side of this because that's pretty much where you know I, I i lead the shopping in this house i do the grocery shopping so um i, I i'm not buying more generic things um but i i will say that when you are buying generic there's no doubt you are saving money whether it's 20 cents, 30 cents, 40 cents, and it all adds up. I mean, think about how many items you put in your shopping cart times 30 cents, right? It adds up very quickly. But where I will say you need to sometimes be careful about looking at is the ingredients. So for example, I was comparing a vegetable broth. So the name brand versus the no name brand. Well, the no name brand had fewer vegetables in that broth and used vegetables that I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of. So it, it really does pay to to check those um, th- those lists, those ingredient lists, because that's often where the big difference happens between the generic no-name brand and the name brand. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, if you're buying pasta, you're buying, like if I'm buying mini cob, uh, co- uh, corn cobs for my vegetable stir fry, there's no, even yesterday buying a beef broth, there was no sense in spending 50 cents or 60 mm-hmm. cents more for the name brand than a no-name brand. But it's the ingredients. You got to really, you got to be careful. 
Mike, I know you and I, even though we spend time on diets, we'll still go for a good meander down the chip aisle from time to time. And for as much as we talk about inflation on this show, what struck me yesterday as I have some visitors coming tonight, my folks are coming by after a provincial lawn bowling tournament in Midland, Ontario. They, I, I'm, I always get chips from my mom. My mom likes to eat yeah. chips and she likes a particular brand of chips. And they were on sale yesterday. And you know what the price was for this name brand brand of chips that my mom likes? Two bags for $10. Oof. Two for 10 was the yeah. sale price. Now, I don't, yeah. I, I, I try not to get into this game of like, oh, all prices are rising and it's absolutely devastating. But on something like chips, on on something yeah. that used to be say three for nine or three for seven fifty or three for seven, two for ten. Oh my Dave, gosh. You and I are leading parallel lives here because I, I called my parents last night, uh, hadn't talked to them in a couple of weeks, and my dad was telling me because they like their diet coke, their diet soda. And he was just railing over the cost increase on a case of 24 cans of their favorite pop that now its uh, regular price has gone over $10. Wow. Right. Wow. He said it used to be, it used to be on sale, uh, you know, for about six, $7. He said, then it started creeping up and he says, now it's over $10 for a case of pop. Wow. So, I mean, to me, I mean, I haven't been down the chip aisle or the pop aisle in a little while, but I will say that what maybe about four months ago when the there was the big dispute between Lays. Uh, PepsiCo yeah. and yeah. Lay's and, and Loblaws, um, that was probably the first time in a long time that I bought no-name brand chips and I bought their low sodium, their low or lightly salted no-name Ripple regular chips. I was pleasantly surprised yeah, at how yeah. good they were. I didn't feel like I was getting a handful of, of greasy, oily chips. They were actually pretty tasty. So, you know, again, when you find your no-name brand, absolutely, there, there, there is there are savings to be had, and and there's goodness out there for your wallet. And you know, in in a lot of even plant-based, I was reading an article this morning about plant-based foods, generic brands being almost completely identical to the name brand stuff. So mm-hmm. you do have to be a picky shopper, but there are definitely uh, savings and values to be found. Yeah, I love my mom, and uh, I'm always trying to cater to her tastes, but she's getting generic chips tonight because they were two for four, they were two for $4.44. So mom's getting generic uh, when she gets back from Midland tonight. Hey, Mike, we got to get out of here, but thank you for this. See you, Dave. That's Mike Ross. We'll talk to him for the big business story of the day in a couple of minutes. In the meantime, you can vote at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can give us phone calls at 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545, or send us emails, feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca. Let's go back to Eliza Rocco for the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. In St. John's, Newfoundland, it's mainly sunny with a high of 27. And in Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny again, increasing cloudiness late this morning, then a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon. The high is 25 degrees. In Montreal, it's mainly cloudy with 60% chance of showers and a high of 22. 
In Ottawa, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with 70% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm. The high is 22 degrees. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud with 40% chance of showers this afternoon with a risk of a thunderstorm. The high is 26. And in Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's sunny with a high of 23. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's also sunny with a high of 32 degrees. And in Saskatoon, it's sunny with a high of 34 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, it is also sunny with a heat warning in effect and a high of 33 degrees. And in Edmonton, Alberta, it's sunny with a high of 32 degrees and also has a heat warning in effect. And in Yellowknife, rain is ending this morning with then a mix of sun and cloud, 60% chance of showers late this afternoon with a risk of a thunderstorm as well late this afternoon. The high is 16 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, it is sunny with a high of 26 degrees. Then in Victoria, BC, it is also sunny with another high of 26 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Eliza. Coming up next, September is Guide Dog Access Awareness Month. We look ahead with Larissa Proctor of the CNIB. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv on AMI-audio and AMI.ca for the last day ever. TV only and podcast only as of tomorrow. But I'll share more details about that eh, in about an hour or so. September marks Guide Dog Access Awareness Month. Having a guide dog means having to do a bunch of self-advocacy in the moment. But there are things that everyone can do to be more inclusive and welcoming to guide dogs and their handlers. Larissa Proctor is the manager of CNIB Guide Dog Advocacy and joins us now to tell you a bit more. Hey, good morning, Larissa. Great to chat with you. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. So, Larissa, this is right in the name of the month, but let's dig a little bit deeper. What is the goal of Guide Dog Access Awareness Month? Yeah, absolutely. So the goal of Guide Dog Access Awareness Month is to raise awareness about the rights of guide dog handlers and the rights and legal responsibilities of businesses when they're providing services or access to a guide dog team. Um, This year, we're focusing on guide dog access in the workplace. So we know that despite existing human rights legislation, many people who work with guide dogs are still facing barriers to employment. And we want people to know that employers can't reviews refuse to interview, hire, or accommodate someone because they have a guide dog. In all of Canada's provinces and territories, human rights legislation prohibits discrimination against someone with a guide dog 
Um, and the penalties for discrimination range from $100 to $10,000. Mm. Larissa, it only really takes a couple of conversations with guide dog handlers to hear about some of these discriminations that take place on a daily yes. basis. What are some of these big concerns that advocates are raising when it comes to guide dog access? Yeah, I think the primary concern is that people are still being denied access despite the existence of human rights legislation. So we know that guide dogs and their handlers are allowed access to any place that the public would normally have access to. But people are still being denied access to public spaces like stores, restaurants, hotels, taxis and ride chairs, just to name a few. Um, guide dog handlers also face discrimination when trying to access employment. So we want employers and businesses to understand that ignorance is not an excuse. If they don't realize that they're breaking the law, it doesn't change the fact that laws still protect the rights of guide dog handlers. And businesses have a legal responsibility to respect the rights of guide dog teams. Let's go a little bit deeper into that policy side. What? Because mm-hmm. what, you mentioned the, these are human rights legislations and decisions that exist yes. on the books. There is government policy. There are certain corporations that actually do have these policies on the book as well to say, no, no, you cannot deny someone access. And yet those access denials still continue. So what are advocates wanting to see when it comes to corporate and government policy in regards to guide dog access? So we'd like to see businesses and service providers respect the existing legislation that protects the rights of guide dog teams. Uh, Too often in my position, I hear from people who've been told that they're not allowed inside a business or they're treated differently or asked to leave because they're working with a guide dog. Um, It is not okay to offer someone a different level of service because they have a guide dog. So, uh, for example, seating somebody in a different area of a restaurant or asking them to stay on the pet friendly floor of the hotel, those things are not okay. That's a different level of service than anybody else would receive. So we want people to understand that guide dogs belong everywhere and it's the law. Um, We also want businesses to know that, you know, they need to educate their employees about the rights of guide dog teams so that people can go about their day-to-day lives and know that their rights are going to be respected. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also want people, businesses to uh, recognize the rights of guide dog teams within policies. So, uh, for example, a no dogs policy at a business should explicitly state that it does not apply to guide dogs. Larissa, I understand this question can be interpreted as somewhat controversial and maybe we're entering Mm -hmm. some dangerous territory here. And if you tell me to zip it up and move on, I will. (laughs) But are people continuing to misunderstand how support animals are entirely different than guide dogs? And maybe I'm being overly diplomatic in using the word misunderstand. No, this is actually a really good question, Dave. Um, There is so much confusion about the difference between guide dogs and other working dogs. So when I say other working dogs, I mean uh, service dogs, emotional support animals, therapy dogs. There's a lot of confusion, uh, particularly about the rights and legislation that protect them. So uh, both guide dogs and service dogs have access rights and they're protected under human rights legislation across Canada. On the other hand, therapy dogs and emotional support dogs do not have access rights, so they require specific permissions to enter restaurants, hotels, and other businesses. 
I think you did a really nice job of staying out of the trouble there. I, 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 guess I, put, you, I put you in a tough spot, and you, you did a beautiful job of working your way through those rocky waters. Well done. Uh, Larissa, let's come back to the actual month of Guide Dog Access Awareness. How can people get involved in spreading the message in regarding to access? What would you like people to do, whether it be on social, in person, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people can support the campaign in a number of ways. I would say uh, liking, commenting on, and sharing our social media posts throughout the month of September would be very helpful. Uh, People can ask businesses in their communities to display our guide dogs welcome window decals, which which can be um, ordered by calling CNIB's contact center. Um, people can also learn about the rights of guide dog handlers and guide dog etiquette and share that information in their networks. Mm, yeah, the etiquette side of it is a big one. I know we didn't get into that too, too much in this conversation, but knowing that when that dog is on harness, you just leave it alone. Don't bother it at yes. all. And I think that's something yes. that people are still uh, a little bit baffled by, although there's almost nothing more beautiful than when a guide dog gets let off harness and uh, gets, to be, <laughs> gets to be a real dog. To this day, it still baffles me that we can sort of professionalize a dog. You can barely professionalize me, let alone a, an, an animal with like the intelligence of a five-year-old. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive how they can completely shift when they're in harness. Yeah, it's amazing. It still blows me away to this day. Uh, Larissa, are there going to be any kinds of uh, events that people can join in person? Mm -hmm. So we have lots of stuff happening throughout the month. Um, Last week, we hosted a webinar to share information with guide dog handlers about how they can advocate to remove barriers in their own communities. Um, That recording is available soon to anybody who wants it. They can contact me by email. Uh, We'll be hosting lunch and learns for employers and employment agencies throughout the month of September to provide them with information and resources. Uh, We're producing and sharing public education videos, which will be released throughout the month of September on our social media and on our website. Uh, We're sharing an op-ed in early September. Later in the month, we'll be hosting information sessions about our guide dog handlers advocacy toolkit for anyone who's interested in learning about um, how guide dog handlers can advocate for their rights. Uh, And of course, we'll be sharing everything on our social media channels. I, I imagine that a regular viewer of this program or listener of this program knows where those channels are, but maybe Larissa, just give us a, a couple points of contact where folks should go to try and find some of those posts. Yeah, people can find us on all social media. So you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, just just look us up CNIB. You can find us on, on pretty much all the social media. <laughs> <laughs> Once you look up CNIB and you follow that, you're going to get all the good trickle downs you're that good. come yeah. from that. Absolutely. Hey, Larissa, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you for enlightening us. And I hope this month ends up being really fruitful. And uh, we'll keep doing our part on that advocacy front as well, making sure that people are aware of the rights of guide dog handlers. Great. Thank you so much, Dave. Have a great day. That's Larissa Proctor, manager of CNIB Guide Dog Advocacy. Coming up next, you know we love talking about food on this show. And we also spend quite a bit of time talking about art. And some would say we love talking about art as well. Well, Clover Thursday is going to explore how food and art intersect. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minute. The fallout from last week's hawkish speech by the chair of the U.S. Federal Reserve kept North American stock markets on the decline for a third straight trading session Tuesday. The S&P TSX Composite Index was down 323 points at 19,513. 
in New York, the Dow Jones was down 308 points at 31,791. The Nasdaq was down 135 points at 11,883. Japan's Nikkei finished down 104 points at 28,092. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong just ahead of close was up about 20 points at 19,969. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 76.45 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovesky. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. You know we enjoy talking about food on this show. You know we enjoy talking about art on this show. In fact, in the very next segment, Amy Amanti will be telling you all about some theater happenings around Vancouver. So it's safe to say we love food and art. And we know those two things blend together. For example... Subway calls their employees sandwich artists. When you study to become a chef, you study culinary arts. So I would say it's fair to argue that food and art intersect. Well, let's hear what community artist Clover Thursday has to say about this. Hey, good morning, Clover. Hello. Uh, Okay, Clover, we had you on mute there for a second, but we definitely have you back in the mix. Nice to be chatting with you again. So let's dive right in. Do you feel there are similarities between the process of creating art and the process of making food? Honestly, absolutely. Someone who's like, you know, I I cook in my spare time and whatnot. It's like, it, it feels like it fires off the same parts of the brain. Like it's all like a process and like sometimes it goes right, sometimes it goes well and you're just kind of going through the process and creating something, whether it's something to look at or experience or something to taste and experience. So Yeah, one of the things that we talk about with art is that it can stimulate so many senses and it's the same thing with food. And we know that when it comes to art, there's the expression of say throwing paint at the wall or throwing paint at the canvas and sometimes in food it's throwing spices in the bowl or spices in the sauce. So would you say that when it comes for you to spend some time in the kitchen, do you get experimental? I absolutely do to the point where it's just like, I might have found a recipe before and then just completely riffed on it or just been like, you know, what happens if I like add this going on or if I kind of try and go for this kind of flavor or what if, you know, what if I just use a different um, ingredient that, you know, usually wouldn't be in there. I find it really fun to experiment. Um, And I feel like with cooking, it's a lot kind of forgiving. Like, you know, if you kind of mess up on a couple of things, it's it's not a big deal. Um, As long as, you know, I remember there was one time I I could definitely confuse like sugar for salt though. And that was, wasn't great, but like, you know, like, Sorry. Yeah, as we would say, those might be a low vision moments inside the kitchen. Uh, Clover, we've talked before in the way that you make art. Sometimes you're going to experiment with some adaptive tools to maybe ease the process when it comes to uh, dealing with some of the issues associated with low vision or blindness when it comes to making art. What about as you're diving into more recipes? Are you trying some new adaptive tools in the kitchen? 
me personally, I haven't dived too, too much into it, but kind of along my sort of, I suppose, journey, I, I'll call it, um, I, I do find myself like looking into like, okay, like maybe I want a talking thermometer. So I just don't like kill everyone by undercooking chicken or something, you know, just like those little things that like, um, I think it would just be like really helpful. And you can find a lot of those things I've noticed, like like on Amazon or just like these little tools that will just kind of help make the process easier. A lot of like talking timers and talking thermometers or something I'm really interested in. Uh, but there's a ton of other things that would suit like other people's needs. Yeah, we've had a couple of our contributors on the show talk about some of the kitchen gear they've bought over the years that isn't even necessarily labeled as an adaptive tool. I think it was uh, one of our contributors, Becky Czar in Regina, who was talking about how she's finding the oven these days to be particularly daunting, just because there's so many touchscreens, there's so many buttons, there's too many options, but she has started really messing around with an air fryer that has a lot of tactical yes. buttons to it. <laughs> what about some of those, uh, I, I will call them kitchen accessories as opposed to tools. Have you been dipping into that at all to try some new stuff? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, I've, I've loved my rice cooker for ages and I love it even more because I just realized just the amount of like things you can do with it. Like, <laughs> um, it's like you could cook sauces, soup, pastas. And like, if you can get a fancier one, it's got all these like settings that you can just make so many things with. Um, and I know my folks have an air fryer and when I was staying with them, I was just air frying everything. Because <laughs> like, it makes it fun, like, you know. Yeah, that's the that's the addiction that I think comes up. As soon as someone gets the air fryer, they just don't stop air frying things. Everything must go into the air fryer. Uh, Clover, yes. let's let's jump out of our own kitchens. Let's jump into maybe more professionalized settings, restaurants. Have you met some chefs who really sweat the presentation of the food? Maybe they see the plate as a board or a canvas for some arts? Absolutely. I, funnily enough, uh, earlier on in my life, I actually used to work in hospitality and I worked in a, a kind of um, more fancier, um, like higher class Italian restaurant. And I made a lot of friends with the chefs who have as much passion as any artist could, even maybe even more with the amount of hours we were working. And uh, absolutely, it was so much about presentation. I remember I was helping the pasta chef. And it was like every every piece of like pasta we made like had presentation to it, from even the start of it being prepared to when it hit the like the board and the plate and making sure that was like that presentation would make you know the the customer go wow you know like I'm paying a lot for this plate so it's really nice <laughs> that it looks beautiful and looks delicious so yeah it's like I can absolutely see the similarities like it's it's almost like spooky how similar it is like a chef's mind and an artist's mind can be <laughs> along those lines because there are so many chefs, and especially when you start going to really high-end places, they really sweat the presentation, right? The drizzle has to be just right, or the swirl needs to be just perfect. Does good-looking food taste better? In other words, where would you rank visual aesthetic and how you might evaluate food? You know, it's funny. It's definitely like that idea has like changed over the years since my site's been changing. But I mean, I definitely like how, when my food looks nice, like, or like, even it's just on a nice plate. I find I've really been noticing how like different dishware recently. I don't know why, but like, I love like the different like containers and creative ways people are like displaying food. Um, but yeah, like, I think in a sense, like we, like we eat with our eyes first or even our noses and heck even our ears, like with the ambiance. So mm -hmm. I think like that whole experience does make the food taste better. <laughs> Putting taste aside, 
I'm going to rank smell number one. If something smells good, I'm going to pounce on it. But yeah. but I don't I don't want to sleep on on the notion of where hearing comes into eating food because when you hear a plate of fajitas going by, sorry, I know I'm going like super white trash with this, but like <laughs> when you hear when you hear a plate of fajitas zooming by you at a restaurant and you hear the sizzle, the yeah, come on, put those fe- put those fajitas in my mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's a calm, chill time. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Instead of like some couple fighting over like in the next table, it's like it'll change your dining experience. <laughs> no, no, I never, I never, I never kvetch openly when I'm at a restaurant with, with, with people that I'm with. Uh, Clover, cooking's one thing. Where do you stand on baking? Oh, oh, baking. Uh, baking is like the final frontier for me. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I think it's so cool, but like it has a kind of precision that like I think it just takes practice um and I, it's something i would love to get more into like i i think the most i've done is like box cakes and stuff yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I would I, love to. I'm the same way i'm not precise enough i'm not precise enough when it comes to my time in the kitchen that baking really works for me that said from an artistic point of view it seems like once you master the act of the actual baking the canvas is really broad in terms of decorating things. Uh, again, I'm coming back to it from one of our contributors, uh, Shiny Saravanamuthu. On her Instagram, she's always baking cakes or cookies or muffins or cupcakes, and she decorates the heck out of those things. Like, those are pieces of art when Shiny does some baking. Absolutely. And it's funny, I've, I've actually met Shiny. She's wonderful. Um, and yeah, I've seen her baking and her, like, confectionery artistry really yeah and it, it always blows my mind like i think cake decorators um are like an art form like i always super super admired like i can barely bake a cake and like put icing on it and suddenly like people are like creating these amazing like literal works of art and it's just <laughs> Well, I'm jealous that you've gotten to meet Shiny in person. I haven't got a chance to meet Shiny yet. It's on it's on my list of things to do here in the uh, in this coming in this coming year. Uh, Clover, let's uh, finish up here, and I'm going to start with a confession. There's something that I love that I have no idea how to make, and that's curry. And I know curry is like one of the easiest things in the world to make, but I find it overwhelming, and I've not had a chance to make it yet, or at least make it in any kind of way that was tasty. What's a dish that you really want to try your hand at on the cooking front? What I want to do is I want to like host like a hot pot for my friends. That's one thing I really want to do. And like I've just been looking online of just like, oh yeah, you could use like a rice cooker as like your hot pot thing. Like I'm like, oh, like that'd be so cool that you do. So like I would love to be able to like have that all set up and like get a good broth going and everything mm. and like all the things and just like enjoy the process with like a bunch of friends and whatnot. I also still need a tape, like a proper table in my apartment though. So like I've got a lot of. <laughs> before that, that happens. Yeah, Clover, I'm uh, right with you. There is no uh, proper table in my apartment either. I eat over the sink like a rat. Uh, Clover, <laughs> we got to get out of here. Have yourself a great day. You too. That's Clover Thursday, a community artist talking about the intersection of food and art. Mike Ross is here with the big business story of the day. Ding, 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 ding. Sometimes I have to help the sound effects uh, get going. Hey, Mike, just before you jump into your story and a follow-up from earlier in the week, I just want to mention that StatsCan did drop some numbers this morning in regards to GDP growth. Uh, in the in the second quarter of the year, growing 3.3% 
year over year and 0.1% growth in June. So that's one of those numbers we look at in in relation to inflation that you never necessarily want to see economic growth trailing inflation. And that's a, that's a pretty big wide gap, but we'll get some analysis on that tomorrow. There's going to be lots of clips uh, coming through the CP Newswire. But you, sir, have some information here on some fuel shortages in Nunavut. Yeah, we all know that the cost of living in the territories in northern Canada is you know, astronomically higher than many parts, in fact, pretty much any part of the country. But it's getting a little even tougher now because an airline uh, that services Canada's north says an ongoing fuel shortage at some airports in the high Arctic and inclement weather are causing significant disruptions to their operations. Can, uh, Canadian North first announced fuel shortages at airports in Pond Inlet, Arctic Bay, Resolute Bay, and Grease Fjord, yes, uh, two weeks ago. And uh, the airline says there are now fewer seats available on flights to those communities, and some cargo shipments could be delayed as planes have to carry more fuel. Canadian North says they're working uh, to uh, you know use the fuel they have as efficiently as possible, and they're looking to move as many passengers and freight as possible. But this is uh, this is a real-world problem here uh, as you uh, look to the Canadian North. And let's face it, there's pretty much one way to get things in and out yeah. of the North, and uh, it is using uh, airlines and yeah, planes. So we'll absolutely. see how this sort of plays out. Uh, uh, just a f- yeah, yep. follow, yeah, you have a follow-up from our story on Monday I talking, do. talking about uh, National Cinema Day. Yeah, so when we talked about this earlier in the week, um, this was uh, National Cinema Day being announced in the United States, Being the, the premise being that a Labor Day weekend is the slowest weekend of the year at cinemas, and the uh, industry in the U.S. had been talking about how they were a little bit slower coming back than they might have hoped, uh, despite the fact that there are some big movies out there through the summer. Uh, well, the at the time, I said that there was no announcement for Canada yet. Well, now it's been it's been announced. Cineplex, Landmark Cinemas are going to be having National Cinema Day here in Canada as well. So September 3rd, all movies, $3 to get in to see a flick on September 3rd. So great news there. I think Canadian moviegoers were looking down at what was happening down in the United States and you know, kind of, kind of sad. Hey, we'd like to see a $3 movie up here too. So uh, all forms, all uh, formats, $3 on September 3rd. It will not get me off the sofa watching Arkansas and <laughs> Arkansas and Cincinnati at 3.30, but that's fine. We're trying, Dave. Do, do, We're you're trying. Doing your, listen, $3 is a bargain. I will say that, but there's a lot of football to watch on Saturday. Mike, thank you for this. Okay, Dave. That's Mike Ross with the big business story of the day. Coming up next, there are some short-form podcasts that explore issues related to disability. Amy Amanti has the inside scoop on the 22% podcast. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head out to Vancouver to catch up with community reporter Amy Amanti. Hey, good morning, Amy. Well, happy morning to you, Dave Brown. Happy morning indeed, especially morning for you out there, Amy. We're almost at midday here in the Eastern Time Zone. <laughs> <True> uh, <enough. laughs> Amy, as nervous as it makes me to shout out other podcasts, beyond, of course, your excellent podcast, Access and Art with Amy, oh, why did you want to give a shout out and some kudos to the 22% podcast? 
Okay, well, the 22% podcast is a part of a larger project. So I've talked uh, on on this show with you and others, uh, Dave, about a play that I'm writing called The Disability Tour Bus. So I'm writing that with uh, four other folks or three other folks. And um, uh, the the majority of us live with disabilities. So this is a bus tour. Uh, where a play breaks out on. So we're actually performing on a moving bus uh, that'll be coming up this spring. So in sort of combination with this, and because of the pandemic, we were trying to figure out what we could do to fill the gaps um, of this show not being on a stage because there was a pandemic thing that we all had to live through, right? Uh, And so the 22% podcast was something that each of the artists kind of picked a a genre um, to talk about. And they're like short 10 minute podcasts. Um, So this is not a a huge lengthy listen, but there are four of them in this series and um, they're all really very interesting. So if you want sort of an inter um, internal expose, for example, one of the writers, Casper Ryan tells all about his disability, which is uh, rather complicated and rather rare. Uh, So shares very transparently about it. We talk a little bit uh, about the comparison of, uh, uh, saved by the Bell and relationships uh, with one particular episode with a, a wheelchair using person and how things may or may not have changed since uh, the time I think you and I, Dave Brown, probably watched Saved by the Bell as an after school <laughs> high school special. Um, but like, it, you know, that stigmatization that we see on television about dating with a disability um, uh, one of them that's on uh, the performative nature of disability. It's a very academic piece. And then uh, one that I wrote in particular uh, is called Wordability, and it's all about microaggressive languages, and it's set up in the form of a game show. Um, so it's just a fun listen. The notion of using shorter podcasts, 10-minute mm-hmm. podcasts, short form, why do you think that's so appealing to people? You know, I think there's a couple of reasons that I think the short podcast in all um, all of the AMI pod, original podcasts, as far as I'm aware of, there may be one or two, but they're around the half an hour mark, right? So it's a small, digestible time. It's good for our our um, focus and our, our brain attention spans these days. You can hop on a bus and go on a 30-minute commute and listen to it. Um, so I think that, that the nice, short, digestible ones are really great. And these ones were 10 minutes, I think, originally because... When we had dreamed up this idea of being on a moving bus with a play, we thought, okay, there's going to be some downtime. So maybe people could listen to a podcast while we were like in the middle of some traffic and and had to you know stop the play that it could be a companion piece. But no, we've worked through those issues in terms of the playwriting. So now these pieces are companion pieces to the larger whole. Nice. Makes a lot of sense. A really holistic yeah. look at the way you're trying to get some of this multimedia art uh, off the ground. Amy, speaking of arts, Real Wheels has a unique production role. <laughs> out here in the next 10 days. What makes in camera such an interesting experience for the audience? Mm. In camera is a very interesting production. Uh, so in camera is, uh, some people may have been uh, referred to it or, or know it as No Exit, uh, which was uh, a title that it has been labeled under before. Um, this is, or Huis Close, and my French is not so great, but that's uh, based on a Jean-Paul Sartre original uh, classic French text. So we have adopted this text, uh, and it's really about uh, what does hell look like for the individual? Really, that's what it is. And in this production, uh, hell is uh, trapped in a never-ending Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one that people can relate to over the last couple of years. So th- talk to me a little bit about how this is being rolled out and how folks might be able to get their hands on tickets for this. I'm calling it an experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this will be online. There'll be an ASL interpreted version. There'll also be an audio described version. It's going to be live streamed for free um, so that there's no barriers to access between uh, the 8th of September and the 11th of September. And so I believe if you check out uh, the AMI blog, <laughs> you'll find a link, but you can always, uh, a, a registration link rather, but you can always reach out to Real Wheels directly as well through their email info at realwheels.ca um, and they can give you information on how to get how to get the link. Very good. And staying with the theater theme here, Amy, one of the really lovely things that's popped up all summer long in community reports and some general discussions I've had with folks online is that fringe festivals are back all across the country oh, yes. and Vancouver has theirs coming up. What's on deck this year? Yes, indeed. Uh, love, love, love me some fringe festivals. Um, just actually talked uh, to a, a human the other day who was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And I'm ooh, like, ah, I, I want to go perform in that festival. That sounds like fun. I digress. The uh, Vancouver Fringe Festival is uh, uh, starting up here September 8th through the 18th. Uh, and, and fringe festivals happen here in Vancouver and I think probably everywhere. But uh, in terms of their location, it's not in one building, right? So there are, are little types of shows and exhibits and performances and musical entertainment and all sorts of things throughout this period of time that happen throughout the city of Vancouver at various venues, sometimes even at like places like restaurants or like venues that you wouldn't expect to be sort of the typical theater venue. Uh, and so if you go on the website, the Vancouver Fringe website, you're going to be able to find a whole list of shows everywhere. But what I wanted to draw attention to is that some of those shows are going to be listed as low vision friendly. So they won't have audio description, but what they will have is some introductory notes that talk a bit about the character, the costumes, you know, the relationships, uh, the, the, the setup, a little bit of the setup, because the show is very much dialogue based. And so you can follow it 90% accurately just by listening to the dialogue. And then the, the supplementary notes may say, for example, I'm just going to make this up on the spot, you know, uh, in, in the middle of the show, he comes out dressed in a clown costume. And so when that laugh happens, you know why that laugh has happened because you're sort of been prepped in advance for mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. So low vision friendly uh, programming is, is something that Vocali um, established back in the day because uh, because festivals have such a short run. So you usually have two or three opportunities maybe to see a show. And so to do live description, a describer would need to see that show three or four times, write the notes. So it needs to be a run of something that's like four weeks at least yeah. to be able to do that. So this is sort of the the happy medium. A couple of weeks on the show, I shared a story about how the band Coldplay is uh, offering some accessibility features at their show. What they're doing now for folks, if they reach out to them in, in advance, is they'll let folks who are blind or low vision do a touch tour of the stage before the show, mm -hmm. which sounds like a really cool opportunity. It's uh, touch tours are great. It's something again that Vocalize does a lot. We just did one at Bard on the Beach this past Sunday, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, which I think I had shared with you all you at the beginning and, of, and of August. And so did Sylvie Fiquette. Yes, uh, that's right. I did hear that, and uh, like it was a great production. They did some really interesting, dark, funny stuff, some musical stuff. There, there. You know, Bard on the Beach has a reputation of trying to uh, make Shakespeare sort of more relatable to mass audiences. Mm -hmm. And some of the props that we were able to touch, just as an example, Oberon, who's one of the the the, the king of the uh, of the fairies, king of the forest, comes out uh, as a as a twelve foot tall tree. So it's an actor on stilts. And the tree arm limbs are all sort of like paper mache 
tree branches so that his arms are like as long as his body and he walks around uh kind of like the ants a little bit if you're a lord of the rings fan which i am uh and uh yeah and so they 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 let us play with like these massive tree arms and it was like it's exactly how they were described is almost exactly how i imagined them to be and then when you feel them you can like put all the puzzle pieces together which was really cool very cool hey amy uh i would say talk to you next week or talk to you in a couple weeks but we're talking to you again tomorrow morning for a film review so you have a good 24 hours and we'll talk to you soon See you bright and early tomorrow morning. (laughs) That's Amy Amanti, community reporter in Vancouver, British Columbia, also a film reviewer. She'll be here again tomorrow morning. AMI.ca slash nowblog is where you can find out more information on a few of these stories. AMI.ca slash nowblog. As I mentioned to you, we were a little short-staffed behind the scenes and had a couple back-end problems getting to the blog the last couple of days. So... Today, a bunch of information from the last few shows should pop up on the blog, ami.ca slash nowblog, ami.ca slash nowblog. And if you ever hear something on the show that ruffles you the wrong way or ruffles you the right way, you're always encouraged to give us feedback. You can send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can find us on social media at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, it's the Regional News Update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, August the 31st, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Starlink is partnering with T-Mobile to expand cellular access in remote areas of the United States. Mike Agarbo will tell you more and we'll discuss whether or not those could have some implications for rural and remote areas in Canada as well. Before we get to Mike Ross and the regional news update, I've got a couple of stories for you relating to climate that are updates from stories that we shared yesterday. The United Nations is appealing for $160 million to provide food, water, sanitation, health, and other aid to 5.2 million people in Pakistan. Pakistan has been hit with its highest rainfall in three decades. UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez discussed the scale of suffering. Pakistan is awash in suffering. The Pakistani people are facing a monsoon on steroids. Gutierrez says the monsoon ravaging Pakistan is a warning that climate change has to be taken seriously by everyone. Let's stop sleepwalking towards the destruction of our planet by climate change. Today, it is Pakistan. Tomorrow, it could be your country. So far, 1,100 people have been killed by the floods. And another follow-up from the story we shared yesterday of flooding in the American Southeast. Residents of Jackson, Mississippi are lining up for bottled water after the state's governor declared an emergency for the city's water system. Jackson was already under a boil water notice before flooding overwhelmed a water treatment plant. Trevor Alt is at a distribution center where people are lining up to get water for their homes. They've worked quickly to try to bring in as much water as they can. There's about 600 cases total. They're going to have to limit it to one case per vehicle, which is not a lot given the fact that a lot of these people have no water at home. But when you look at the demand, this line wraps around the streets. I would say this is easily a mile long. So there's, if they're giving out one case per vehicle, there is a real chance that there's not going to be enough cases for the people who need this water. 
Jackson does have a long-standing problem with its water system. A cold snap last year left people without running water after pipes froze. And of course, we've heard from Eliza in the weather reports, there's a pretty significant heat wave coming through the prairies right now, headed our way, which I'm not super looking forward to. Today was the first nice day to walk into work in like two months. But it's also going to be a very hot Labor Day weekend in the West Coast, specifically in California. Alex Stone has the forecast. Extreme heat warnings are up here now every day through early next week. The temperature will be rising. By Sunday, parts of L.A., like the San Fernando Valley, could hit 114 degrees. Dr. Neil Patel says this is when getting too hot can be deadly. Which means your body is no longer capable of cooling itself down. The heat wave really begins today with valleys in the 105-degree range and then rising from here. Alex Stone, EBC News. Let's bring in Mike Ross once again for the regional news update. Thanks, Dave. We'll begin in the territories. Just reiterating the story I brought to you in the big business story. An airline that services Canada's north says an ongoing fuel shortage at some airports in the high Arctic and inclement weather are disrupting its operations. Canadian North announced fuel shortages at airports on Pond Inlet, Arctic Bay, Resolute Bay, Griesfjord, and all of those in Nunavut two weeks ago. As a result, the airline says there are fewer seats available on flights to those communities and some cargo shipments could be delayed as planes had to carry more fuel. The airline says it's working with the fuel available to move as many passengers and as much freight as possible. To BC, a union representing transit workers in West Vancouver is raising the possibility of escalated job action next Wednesday, a day after students return to school. Amalgamated Transit Union Local 134 represents bus drivers and mechanics and says it's calling for the same wages and working conditions as their counterparts elsewhere in Metro Vancouver. Union President Cornell Negu says in a release that it may take a strike to achieve that goal and it will be up to the mayor and council in West Vancouver to explain to residents why they refuse to move with the times if that takes place. The union has banned overtime since July 23rd, a move it says has forced nearly half the buses in the blue bus system off the road because of necessary inspections or repairs, with Negu saying that shows the need to retain and hire more mechanics without accumulating massive overtime. To the Prairies, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney says the province is on track for a $13.2 billion surplus in the budget this year. That's above the $511 million surplus forecast when the provincial budget was introduced in February. The province is riding another wave of financial prosperity due to high oil and gas prices, along with higher royalty payouts from maturing oil sands projects. Kenny, currently on a government trip in South Korea, made the announcement in a video posted to Twitter. To Ontario, the restaurant at the centre of a public health investigation is expected to reopen today. York Region's medical officer says 12 people went to hospital Sunday after eating the same chicken dish from Delight Restaurant and Barbecue in Markham, Ontario. The public health investigators believe a spice in the dish was contaminated with aconite, a plant-based toxin found in herbs, roots and a flower. The medical officer says there's no reason to keep the restaurant closed after it was cleaned, re-inspected and cleared of the suspected toxin. To Quebec, 
Coalition Avenir Québec leader François Legault is campaigning today in the electoral district of Iberville, riding the party won in 2018, but then lost after its member joined the Conservatives. Claire Sampson was booted from the CAQ in June 2021 after it learned she had donated $100 to the Conservatives under leader Éric Duhaime. She gave the Conservatives their only seat in the legislature and helped boost the profile of the party, which was a non-factor in the last election, but which is now polling ahead of the Parti Québécois. Lugo was holding a news conference in the riding located south of Montreal this morning, then hosting a lunch in the district with party members. Meanwhile, Quebec's left-of-centre Quebec Solidaire Party is set to make an announcement on transportation in Quebec City. The Liberals are holding a news conference this morning in Saint-Agapit in Quebec, south of Quebec City, while the PQ is speaking to reporters in front of a grocery store in Montreal about the cost of living. And in the Atlantic region, Nova Scotia's Environment Minister is expressing disappointment with Ottawa's rejection of his province's proposed plan to avoid the federal carbon tax. Tim Holman isn't specific about the province's next step, but says there will be a response before a federal deadline for the submission of a plan by Friday. In a letter to Premier Tim Houston, Federal Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault noted Nova Scotia's plan does not put a price on carbon pollution. Guilbeault says his department remains open to alternate proposals that meet the federal government's approach by Friday's deadline. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Okay, Brock, we have all kinds of stuff to get to here, but you wanted to start by sharing, let's call it a stat of the day with Brock Richardson. Yes, hopefully I can find more of these so that we can, (laughs) this, this one's really cool. Okay, so on August 29, 2001, Serena Williams wins the U.S. Open. On that same day, Albert Pujols, Greg Biggio, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. all got a hit. Fast forward August 29, 2022, Serena Williams wins U.S. Open game, while Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin uh, Biggio, and Albert Pujols all got a hit. <laughs> Isn't that just the craziest thing? I saw this this morning and I'm like, oh, we got to share this with Dave and the audience because that's just wild and weird and cool all at the same time. Brock, what do you think sort of jumps out more to you? The sons of Craig Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero getting the hits or the fact that in that same time span, Serena Williams and Albert Pujols continue to dominate their sports? I think it's the latter. It's the fact that Two people are still dominating their sport. It is cool when you sit there and you say, well, okay, the the juniors all got a hit. But the fact that two people are still there, you know, over 20 years later and still being productive in their own sport, that's pretty cool. Albert Pujols has the best stats in the National League, hitting stats in the National League in the second half of the season. I don't think he's an MVP candidate for the St. Louis Cardinals, but he's been a huge part of that team making a playoff surge. This guy is on the verge of hitting 700 home runs, which would put him in very elite company. The Barry Bonds, the Alex Rodriguez, the Hank Aarons, the Babe Ruths. Like We're talking about one of the greatest hitters ever ever still doing it. And it looked like he was left for dead about a year ago in, in, in Anaheim in LA. So that's, I love watching the St. Louis Cardinals play. And a part, big reason for that is still relishing in the Albert Pujols, Tom Brady esque run. 
Yeah, he's he's just such a guy who has such, you know, clout. I mean, I, I laughed when he stole a base against the, the Toronto Blue Jays. Like, is there anything he can't do? That's just, <laughs> this is the question you really have to ask. It's like, wow, this guy is like everywhere. And again, you, you spoke about it, you know, Tom Brady, Albert, both, you know, in the same vein, both, both very successful in their in their craft. And it's just so cool to see him still do it and do it at a, at a high level. Because when you see these guys sort of, quote unquote, wrap up their career, you start to see them falling off. Not Albert, no. not even close. To the like point that, that folks are saying if he doesn't reach 700 this year, like he's he may finish one or two short based on the way he's hitting the ball right now. People are saying, now, Albert, you got to come back for at least half a season to get that 700th. And he, it's funny because it came out on social media a little bit ago and he said to the media, guys, no matter whether I get it or I miss it, I'm still retiring and I'm happy with that decision. No, you got to so, you gotta get it. You got to get that 700. You got to join the club. You got to join the club. As, a, as an athlete, it would bother me finishing, you know, one or two short. I'd be like, I got to get it. Even if, <laughs> even if I was there for, you know, 30, 40 games, whatever, I would have to finish it. But that's just the competitive nature in athletes but i guess he's looking at it going guy i'm like 40 plus and yeah. it's you know i i need to, to to retire but it would be so cool if he could hit it I, i'm rooting for him yeah the dude wants to go spend some time on the beach in the dominican republic who can blame him uh brock yeah let's jump into a few other baseball stories there have been a couple notable injuries to top tier pitchers as we're getting close to the playoff run Yes. So if we take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, Sean McClanahan with a shoulder injury, uh, this guy was out uh, pitching warm up and then all of a sudden just pointed to his shoulder and said, nah, I'm not doing this. So that's a big, big loss for the Tampa Bay Rays. Kind of good news if you're a, if you're a Blue Jay fan. <laughs> I never want to admit to someone being injured, of course, but if you're going to make a run, uh, now's the time because you're not going to have to face a pitcher like him because he's been very, very good this yeah. year when he's been on, on the hill and actually fun to watch, to be perfectly honest with you. And the other one is uh, Justin Verlander from the Houston Astros. This is one, it's a calf injury, Dave. And a lot of people are saying, oh, it's a calf injury. He won't be, he won't be out long. Yes. But again, we have to factor in his age. He's in his forties. It does take longer for these things to heal. I do expect him to be back, obviously, before the end of the year, but big, big um, losses just yeah. for Major League Baseball as a whole. Houston and Tampa are two teams that have real aspirations to go on a playoff run here, and Verlander is the anchor of that Astros pitching staff. I don't know if McCullaghan is the anchor of Tampa Bay, but he is just another prime example of an organization that just develops pitchers. They just don't stop developing pitchers. It's all they do, and they develop good ones, and he would be a huge part of that rotation in a playoff series. So in a sense, you really want those guys to get back and get healthy because it makes the sport better and will maybe stop the Yankees from going to the World Series. But uh, I digress. But Brock, it does relate into something that you and I have been talking about behind the scenes. And that's the idea of perhaps overly protecting athletes' bodies. One of the trends we saw emerge this past year in the NFL preseason is a lot of teams barely playing any of their starters. And when I say barely, the Los Angeles Rams, for example, didn't play a single one of their veteran starters 
in any of the preseason games. They thought, ah, practice is enough to get him going. And Brock, we talked yesterday about playing to win the game and that competitive balance. What do you think about the idea of teams perhaps being overly cautious with veteran players heading into a season? The thing that I want to put out here, and I and I think it's of importance to note, sports in general is very taxing on your body. But the NFL and college and CFL, that's like getting into like 30 plus car accidents in the same uh, game because of the impact. NFL seems to have the most wear and tear on your body, if you will. With that said, though, I'm very surprised that, you know, you're not seeing guys play one game. You're not seeing guys, you know, you know, like maybe not all together, but you're not seeing guys, quarterbacks play one game at all. Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills, same thing. They came out early in the preseason and said, yeah, don't expect to see him. He's not playing. And that's fine. But I just wonder how long it takes to blow the dust off, if you will, uh, because you haven't played at all. You see in the NHL, guys slowly start to come back. MLB, now they have like 18 million spring training games, which could be cut in half, please, MLB, (laughs) if we could do that. But you see them, even them, slowly ramp up to, to do it. So the NFL is an interesting beast in the sense that like, yeah, but the impact on your body in that sport alone is vastly different than the rest of the ones we're talking about. The sports science certainly has come a long way here and the, the teams do a lot more in the off season now in regards to their mandatory or voluntary mini camps. So a lot of that body maintenance and practice is being implemented here. But I do think, Brock, there would be some merit, even if it's just one of the preseason games, to get these guys out for a couple of drives because so much about f- football is about timing and fluidity beyond the physicality. The physicality is obviously the number one thing that drives football, but the second thing is timing and fluidity. And for some teams, the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, or the Bills who were pretty much 13 seconds away from making their own run towards the AFC Championship game last year, maybe if they're more veteran-laden, they're not as concerned about that. But I do think there's going to be moments, even early in the Bills season, for example, where you've got a receiver they're trying to work in like Isaiah McKenzie. You've got an emerging receiver like Gabriel Davis. Even if they're just a step or two off in sync with the quarterback, Josh Allen, that's stuff that could have been worked out in a preseason game with one or two drives. And and that's where I stand. I, I think that there needs to be a certain sense of you better be ready to hit the ground running on week one, or then we're going to look back very critically on these approaches in the preseason. 100% because I mean, look at who the bills are playing the LA Rams, the first Thursday of the season, which we'll preview that to death on the Wednesday before. But but it's it's like it's not a it's not a joke who they're playing. If you want to be part of the best in 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 the biz and and be a top and break through Kansas City, which I'm not sure is possible this year. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not sure it's possible this year. You better be ready because I do not want to hear in the media because I will come on this program and others and lose my mind if if this happens. I you know, you have to be ready to go, as you point out, from the beginning. And it's that simple. And I'm all for rest and the whole load management a.k.a. Kawhi Leonard, I'm fine, but you better do your job at the end of it all when when the lights are on and bright because, it. yeah, it's... Yeah. 
Love that. Brock bringing the takes here, although I can't believe I traded out one Bills fan for another. As a Miami Dolphins fan, this hurts me right in the soul. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll live. You, you, you are a Bills fan, right? Am I, am I right on that? Uh, I am. Yes, I am. But I also like like uh, the Dolphins as well. I'm not sure <laughs> Tua is your guy yet. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. No, we'll, no. We'll we'll see. Let, let's, say, let's save that bullet in the chamber, Brock. All right, <laughs> buddy. Have a great day. I'm, uh, apparently, I'm seeing you in person for some pizza in the not-too-distant future. So uh, You looking, are. Looking forward to catching up with you later today. Sounds good. That's Brock Richardson. He's here for the sports chat. Eliza Rocco is here with your national weather update. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. First, we start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's mainly sunny with a high of 28 degrees. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's sunny with increasing cloudiness this afternoon, then a 60% chance of showers late this afternoon. The high is 26. In St. John, it is drizzling with showers changing to to periods of rain near noon. Risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon with a high of 22. And in Quebec City, there are showers with a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. The high is 22 degrees. In Toronto, there's a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers this afternoon with a risk of a thunderstorm. The high is 26. It was nice out this morning. It was like legitimately nice out this morning. I feel like that's not going to stay very long. No, no, it's gone by tomorrow probably. (laughs) Yeah, recipes. Uh, Next up is Sault Ste. Marie, where it is sunny, then becoming a mix of sun and cloud near noon. The high is 20 degrees. Then in Manitoba, in Brandon, Manitoba, it is sunny with a high of 34 degrees. And in Regina, it is also sunny, but there is a heat warning in effect with a high of 33 degrees. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny with a heat warning in effect as well and a high of 35 degrees. And in Red Deer, it is also sunny with another heat warning in effect and a high of 31 degrees. And in Whitehorse, it's mainly sunny with a high of 19 degrees. And in Kelowna, BC, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud near noon and a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon. The high is 20, 33 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, it is sunny with a high of 26 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Eliza. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour. But coming up next, Starlink is partnering with T-Mobile to expand cellular access to remote areas of the United States. Mike Agarbo will tell you more and we'll also discuss the implications for Canadian consumers moving forward. But first, the legal back and forth between Elon Musk and Twitter continues. I've lifted the moratorium so you can listen to Jim Ryan with Tech Trends. In a new filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Elon Musk cites a recent whistleblower report as additional bases to terminate his $44 billion offer to buy Twitter. Wedbush Securities tech analyst Dan Ives. The Zacco situation, it changes the whole calculus 
of the deal. Last week, Peter Zatko, the former head of security for the social media platform, claimed that executives with Twitter misled regulators about the company's cybersecurity defenses. It's a Pandora's box in terms of what the Zacco claims do. And I think ultimately it does put Twitter back against the wall. Twitter calls the Musk filing invalid and wrongful. Can't put the genie back in the bottle. And I think once they step into court in October, calculus changes. And I think right now this could force the Twitter board to get back to the renegotiation table with Musk. With Tech Trends, I'm Jim Ryan, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Mike Agarbo of the App Show is here to talk some technology. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Mike, have you recovered from your New Orleans trip? Have you rehydrated? <laughs> I did. It was an awesome trip, but happy to be back home without all the humidity. Yeah, well, that heat wave is coming for you this weekend, though, so don't get too comfy. Uh, Mike, let's, let's talk about reception. Two big tech players are teaming up on a very interesting project. What are Starlink and T-Mobile working towards in the United States? Well, this is interesting. Starlink has that constellation of uh, satellites that provide internet services uh, to people around the world. They've got, I think, over 400,000 subscribers. Well, Elon Musk uh, has uh, done a deal now with T-Mobile down in the States to kind of blend their services together to eliminate dead spots for T-Mobile customers. This will be coming in 2023. They'll be using uh, version two of Starlink's uh, satellites. Uh, But essentially, if you're a T-Mobile subscriber down there, there will be no dead spots because uh, it'll be filled in by Elon Musk's satellite uh, service. So if there are any emergency calls you need to make uh, or uh, texts, this will be able to provide it. The benefit to me seems clear on this, Mike. But is there a sense of how much of the continental U.S. is covered by some dead spots? Because there's a lot of very much not populated areas. Well, yeah, if you look at a map uh, of uh, the U.S. And, and any of the cell phone carriers down there as far as their coverage, you can see basically the middle of the U.S. has uh, uh, got large areas uh, that uh, don't have uh, coverage. So that does pose a problem if you are in an emergency situation in the middle of uh, nowhere. So uh, this new service will uh, you know, potentially wipe that all out. Uh, you'll never be uh, uh, away from being able to make an emergency call and even into U.S. territorial uh, waters uh, as well. Oh, wow. But kind of the interesting thing for me is like how long before Elon Musk uh, has the technology and the will to actually launch his own satellite cellular service to compete with uh, these big carriers? Mm, that That's a really interesting question because certainly we're already seeing that on the Internet front, right? People are able, especially in, in remote areas or rural areas, to buy some of that Starlink technology. So you're right. It stands to reason if the satellites are offering the service already, why couldn't he make his own standalone? Well, he could. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably part of his uh, <laughs> yeah. plan uh, going down. Uh, yeah. uh, like Elon Musk is no dummy. Like he he has, uh, you know, big ambitions. He plans out years in advance. And so I don't even think the cell phone carriers know what, what's about to hit them. <laughs> this guy's always come in to disrupt something or other. There's no doubt about that. Whether people like him or hate him, there's no doubt that Elon Musk has a vision and he's not afraid to try and put the motion, put the wheels into motion. Mike, let, let's shift north of the border on this front a little bit. Do you think this could be some kind of framework that could apply to Canadian consumers moving forward? 
I think so. I, I think eventually, once he got the once he's got the T-Mobile thing going, he'll make some deal with one of the carriers up here to uh, provide that same uh, service uh, as well. There haven't been any announcements yet, but I think it's uh, you know going to be coming down the pipe. I mean, he also said that for his Tesla cars. Uh, this uh, this new service will be provided into the vehicles uh, as well. So uh, Tesla cars will always have emergency communications. Ah, you said the magic word, Mike, because while we're talking about Elon Musk and some of his companies, let's shift over to Tesla, where some of their self-driving technology is facing some criticism. Some users posted test videos on YouTube that uh, utilized, I'm going to call it a questionable technique. What did these videos show? There's one user down uh, in the U.S., uh, a user, a, a driver, uh, basically, uh, who's with the Red Dawn project. They posted uh, some videos uh, saying that uh, Congress should shut down Tesla's full self-driving uh, beta uh, software because it's dangerous to uh, civilians uh, and especially kids. They actually did some videos where they had a, a Tesla Model 3 with the full self-driving uh, beta software going and uh testing it to see if it would stop for uh, mannequins of children. Uh, they didn't. <laughs> they mowed these mannequins down. Uh, they posted these videos. And then some other idiot uh, decided to use his own children to prove that it was safe. Uh, thankfully, those children weren't mowed down, but uh, that video is posted. Uh, it was taken down by YouTube. Elon Musk has asked that all of these videos be taken down because that's just not safe. Mike, what what kind of process occurs when videos like this are reported to YouTube? Uh, typically, they've uh, got a couple different uh, ways to, to look at it. Uh, a lot of times, it's just kind of, uh, uh, you know, they've got bots and uh, automated services that take down, uh, you know, videos that uh, run afoul of uh uh, their terms of uh, agreement, uh, but then they also have people that look these over uh, as well to make sure that uh, they're on the, the right side yeah. or wrong side. I, I, I understand the temptation that people may have to do some of their own experimentation here, but using your kids as crash test dummies, not super advisable. And then definitely posting it on YouTube, also not super advisable. But, uh, but I, under, I, under, oh. I understand, right? I, I understand the temptation here because there are some people who are real Tesla-ites the real, the real acolytes of Tesla, and they want to say, no, 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 your video is wrong. Look at me posting my video, not even considering the potential consequences. It's stupid. You know, and, you know, in fairness, the software's not fully baked yet. There's no question. It's still called a beta. It's still being tested. You still have to be, you know, hands on the wheel, uh, you know, foot near the brake in case anything uh, happens. And, you know, Elon Musk has even said that, uh, you know, they save thousands of uh, accidents, uh, you know, every day because of this software. So, you know, it, it is helping. I think it's going in the right direction. We're still probably five, 10 years, probably more on the 10 year side for, uh, you know, full self-driving uh, cars to be, you know, safer than humans. Mike, just diving a little bit deeper into that, do you find that sometimes these conversations about stories like this end up trivializing some of the broader conversations around self-driving prog programming? There's so many things we have to look at. I mean, the technology is one aspect of it. Uh, you know, we have to look at, you know, how the artificial intelligence is uh, judging, uh, you know, what moves to make uh, as well. You know, if it was put in a situation uh, where, you know, it had two choices and, you know, it had to, you know, choose between two different lives. Like 
who makes that call. Obviously, uh, you know, us humans have to uh, bake that into the programming. You know, then there's all the regulatory and government issues there. So there's just layer upon layer of uh, things that we need to still look at as a society when it comes to this type of technology. Yeah, it's one of the technologies that I know from the blind and low vision perspective that we're keeping a close eye on because uh, these costs of Ubers to get in across the city of Toronto are starting to really add up when I need to get out to Mississauga and the bus is not the most useful way to get out there. Hey, Mike, this uh, unfortunately is one of the last times you and I are going to get to chat on air. I just wanted to thank you and express gratitude for all of the work that you and your colleague John and all your friends uh, over there at Get Connected Media have been doing for years and years with our network. Uh, You've predated me on this show, uh, working with guys like Mike on Live from Studio 5 and Jeff and Paul and Kevin and so many folks. Mike, I wanted to say thank you for all the work that you and your colleagues are doing. And just because you won't be heard on this show anymore doesn't mean people can't follow along with the work that you guys are doing. Yeah, they can check us out at getconnectedmedia.com. It's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you uh, over these years, uh, Dave, and working with the entire AMI team. Uh, we'll continue to do so on different projects uh, going forward. So this won't be the last uh, you'll uh, see of us. <laughs> you can't get rid of Mike Agrabo that easy. Mike Agrabo will hang in there. Hey, Mike, again, all the best. It's been such a pleasure uh, learning from you over the course of the last couple of years. You're a real expert in the field and a true pro, and we're always grateful for your thoughts. Thank you. That's Mike Agrabo. GetConnectedMedia.com. Learn more about the work that he and his colleagues do. As you've heard lots of their great programming on our airwaves, but they're everywhere. And you definitely want to make sure you're following along with the work that they're doing. Speaking of changes to Now with Dave Brown, coming up next, I've got some info on our new broadcast schedule that goes into effect tomorrow. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and AMI.ca. Today is the last day you can listen to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio or on AMI.ca. As of tomorrow, we switch over to a television-only program, at least in terms of the liveness of it all. So, no change. If you watch this show on AMI-tv... Not a problem. 9 a.m. Eastern time. We're going to be right here and you can see my beautiful face. But if you have typically watched or listened to the show on AMI-audio through the AMI-audio cable channel, you're going to have to make some adjustments here. You're going to have to find AMI-tv on your cable grid. That said, if you have AMI-audio, you have AMI-tv where it's known as a national must carry. You have cable, you get our show. So you're saying, Dave... There's like 20,000 channels on my Bell or Rogers box. Oh, yeah, I know. People ask me all the time, hey, I've got blah, blah, blah. How do I find you? I'm like, I do not know. I know we're on channel 888 on Rogers because that's what I had. So what I want you to do is head over to ami.ca slash schedule dash ami dash TV. ami.ca slash schedule dash ami dash TV, and they're going to ask you to punch in your postal code, code, and you're going to pick your cable provider, and then it's going to tell you, hey, hey, that's the number of the channel to find Dave at 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. So that's if you have cable and listen slash watch the show on AMI-audio. 
tomorrow you get the video experience and you get to finally see what my fat face is all about. Let's say you're an AMI.ca listener and you don't have cable. Things get a little trickier for you. Your number one choice would be to get a cable package. If you live in Canada, get a cable package. Watch Now with Dave Brown. Watch AMI-tv. It's good times. It's good stuff. I encourage you to do that. But maybe you're based in the U.S. I know we have some viewers in England. I even saw on some of our podcast metrics, we had a lot of listens coming from Romania. What up, Romania? How you doing? Maybe you're an international viewer or listener and you still want this show. Well, the live product is not going to be an option for you anymore. That said, we do have the podcast for you on demand on your favorite podcasting platform. We're putting up a screen grab right now. I don't know if that's from Apple or from wherever. I sent a Spotify screen grab yesterday, but this one looks much nicer. Head into your favorite podcast platform, head to the search bar, and punch in now with Dave Brown. Now with Dave Brown, it pops up. I find on Spotify that by the time I get to now with DA, Dave Brown pops up automatically. But now with Dave Brown on the search bar on your favorite podcasting platform, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can leave a rating. You can leave a review. We post entire shows there, but we also post individualized segments. I always encourage you to listen to the entire show because some of the stuff doesn't get posted in the individualized segments. It gets cut off early. Maybe you're not getting things like Eliza's awesome weather report. Sometimes you're not going to get the entertainment or the what's trending or the sports chat. If you want the full experience, you've got to listen to the full show on the podcast. So again, favorite podcasting platform, head over to now with Dave Brown in the search bar, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, anything you do to give us a little bit of love. We appreciate, but again, I want to remind you, if you are someone who has cable and can, you should absolutely make sure to tune in live for the TV show for the live TV broadcast. AMI.ca slash schedule dash AMI dash TV, AMI.ca slash schedule dash AMI dash TV. We really want you to stay aboard. We want you to keep watching and listening to the show. A lot of our TV crew, Dan and Bruce and Eliza, people working behind the scenes are working their tails off to make this a visually aesthetically pleasing product. We've done a lot of work over the years on integrated described video to making sure we're trying to include you in so many different ways so that the video product is hand-in-hand with the audio feed that we're giving you. So please, 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 if you can, make your way tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time, and you can catch our show just like you have for years and years and years. We always appreciate you being a part of this program. Whether you're in the listener land or the viewer vortex, you're now going to be simply a member of the viewer vortex. So, welcome. A new dawn is upon us. Looking ahead to this afternoon, on AMI-audio at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Kelly and company hits the airwaves. Ramya's not here to preview the show. That's okay. They've got a great show coming up. Margaret Weldon is going to be here. She is going to talk about some safety tips in back-to-school season. There'll be another edition of The Buzz with Bill. I believe Bill Shackleton is going to be in the building today. There's tell of pizza happening somewhere around here. And when there's pizza involved, the shack is back, baby. And, of course, you're also going to be hearing about barbecue season. Because Jeff Ryman has his hands all over this show. Independent living skills specialist Leon Barda will tell you how you can squeeze in one more barbecue or picnic before the year is over. Coming up after the break, we get the entertainment report with Eliza. We check in with Nazreen Abdel-Majid to find out what's trending. And then we land this plane 
This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in Eliza Rocco for the entertainment reports. Eliza, in the great tradition of great albums or songs spawning great music videos or movies, I'm thinking Pink Floyd's The Wall. I'm thinking about Bohemian Rhapsody. It turns out a little bit of nostalgia from my late teen life is going to be made into a movie. Oh, yes, Dave. And I am so excited. Um, April Levine did an interview yesterday where she announced that after she's made her return uh, to the spotlight um, these last couple years, not only is she making new albums, she's making a movie. Oh. So exciting. So this movie is not only an April Levine movie. It's an Avril Lavigne movie based on her very iconic song, Skater Boy. Oh. I am sure we all know. And Could we it all be love. any more obvious? Great, greatest song. Greatest song of my childhood, Dave, I have really? to say. I spent hours, what, hours making up choreographed uh, lip sync routines to <laughs> Skater Boy. <laughs> hours of my life that I will never get back. Eliza, were you of the generation that were made famous for stealing their father's ties and putting them over their tank tops? There, there are some pictures of me out there um, with maybe that exact outfit on. Um, no one will ever see those photos. But those, those, are, are those are kept deep, deep somewhere in a digital camera? Yes, yes. Uh, they will never come to light. Sorry. <laughs> not going to make their way onto the gram or onto, onto Facebook? No, no, not so much? not anytime soon. I don't think so. For what it's worth, the song Skater Boy does tell a story. That said, the story is pretty basic. I don't know necessarily uh, how that's going to translate into, say, a 90-minute movie. Yeah, it's um, it's a very basic narrative. There's, I, I mean, maybe they'll add some new dimensions to it. Um, I'm hoping, I, I have high hopes for this movie. Maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> but I, I do. It, 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 could, it could lend itself nicely to the teen genre format, right? Sort of the teen genre format, like, Boy meets girl. Oh, yeah. Girl meets boy. Girl's a preppy. Boy's a skater punk rocker. <laughs> and she's like, no, nah, you're not good enough for me. I'm going to date the captain <laughs> exactly. of the football team. My, the image in my mind when I think about this movie is um, like the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday. Mm. That's mm. that's what I picture the vibe of this movie to be. Will it be that? That's a great question. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, I think... I think back on that song and I think about the way that it dismounts where it really kind of shames the girl for having a family. Like the girl who dumps, sorry, spoiler alert, the girl who dumps the skater boy for and starts a family and it kind of like shames her at the end being like, here she is at home, like raising her family. Oh, like, no. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if like the, if that, that messaging is necessarily going to work in the way they tell this movie story. Yeah, I'm hope I'm hoping it's maybe too the ending is maybe tweaked a little bit. I I hope, I pray. There's not a lot of details out on this movie yet. So the only thing she did confirm is that there is a writer director attached attached to the project and many of her musically inclined friends will be Ooh. making cameos. Ooh. Uh 
I wonder I wonder if those are people that she's been married to, like like <laughs> Derek Wibley from Sum Forty One or Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Oh, I would I would love to see Nickelback <laughs> in this movie. You got a little Nickelback going. I don't know where he would be in this movie. It seems like it would be kind of a punk rock themed genre music wise in the movie but i mean a little nickelback wouldn't hurt avril lavigne is taking part in a music festival that is happening in las vegas this fall called the when we were young festival uh that's going to feature people like her taking back sunday uh uh my chemical romance so i wonder i wonder so i'm just brainstorming this movie out here i am not the writer or director (laughs) who's attached to this thing but i'm brainstorming this movie out here i'm wondering if it may end up being a little bit of like an ode to the era right some of these bands that i just mentioned uh the used my chemical romance avril lavigne taking back sunday yellow card i wonder if some of this sort of what i'm going to call pop punk Maybe even like post pop punk, because to me, pop punk is like Blink 182 and Green Day. But again, I digress on these things. I wonder if maybe this movie ends up being more of like a nostalgic ode to the musical genre rather than just simply like a Hallmark rom com. I would love that. That would be the ideal scenario. I would. I also hope that it's it's also based in early two thousands. That would be my dream. I don't mm. want them to modernize it. Let's let's stay away from that. <laughs> let's let's bring back that genre. That's that's all I want. Yeah, we're not modern people here. We just want old stories told the old ways from when we were young. Darn it! Because exactly. Nostalgia sells. Uh, Eliza. Thank you for this. I might come back to you before uh, before this hour is out. But for now, let's head into Nazreen Abdel-Majid, who's going to tell us what's trending. All right, Nazreen. Eliza was in the entertainment world talking about nostalgia. You're also in the entertainment world, but sort of on the gossip side, the dating life of Leonardo DiCaprio. It's my favorite side. I love gossips. <laughs> So one of Canada's top trends is hashtag Leonardo DiCaprio. According to People, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Camilla Marone broke up and they've been dating for the last four years. And many were quick to jump to the conclusion that DiCaprio must have dumped her because she turned 25 months ago. Uh, For context, there's a well-known joke around social media that's been floating for the last decade or so that DiCaprio rarely dates anyone uh, over the age of 25 years old, despite him being 47 years old right now. So let's I thought we could take a deep dive into DiCaprio's uh, dating history for a minute, Dave. Okay. So It's mostly supermodels. Mostly supermodels. That is correct. 1994, Bridget Hall, who was 17 years old at the time. 1996. Okay, okay. 1994, though, he was also like 17 at the time. Yes, he was 20. Uh, oh, that's he was right. 20? Ooh, yeah, okay, three years, 2017. Three years different. Yeah, but 18 is a big number. As much as you want to say it was the 90s, like 18 is still a big number. Okay, I'm not going to dwell on this. Let's keep going. Yes. Uh, 1996, Kristen Zhang. She was 24 years old at the time. 1998, Bijou Phillips, 18 years old at the time. 2000, Giselle Bunchen dated oh. for five years broke up when she was 25. I didn't know that before Tom Brady, Giselle dated Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow, handsome yeah. Tom Brady. That's right. 2005, Bar Rafili broke up weeks before her 26th birthday. 
2011, Blake Lively, who's 24 years old. We move on to 2012, I, I Aaron didn't, Heatherton. I didn't, I didn't know Leo dated Blake Lively. Oh, yeah, that was that was very well known. Uh, they dated for how long? Only like 10 months, I think? Well, she well she or like she found a nice landing spot with Ryan Reynolds. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, I really, mean, she's a really so good cute. actor too. I like I like Blake Lively. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, we move on to 2012. Erin Heatherton. She was th- 23 at the time. 2013. Tony Garn. 22 at the time. I, I don't know. 2015. Who these are. All supermodels. I I'm think. assuming they're just really uh, good looking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2015, Kelly Rohrbach, who is 25 years old. And we move on to the last, but not least, 2016, Nina Agdell, who is 25. He was 43. And, yeah, and we circle back to uh, Camila Marone. So I'm not saying this is not an assumption. I'm just stating facts here that, you know, these age age things. I, I hope it's a coincidence and I hope that's not actually a thing where he doesn't date anyone over the age of 25. He's, allowed to, he's allowed to date whoever he wants to so long as it's consensual and they're of age. That's Absolutely. Because that, I think that we get hung up a little too much here on age and dating. I understand there are certain like reasonabilities that we need to put into yes. place. And again, I want to establish that baseline of 18 years old and I want to establish the baseline of consent. But people should be able to date whoever the heck they want to date. In the age of consent, yes. we shouldn't judge people who consensually enter relationships and consensually exit relationships. There's always that joke that goes around uh, about the rule of seven that you shouldn't date someone who if you who's younger than half your age plus seven. So for example, me at 38 years old, uh, 19 plus seven is 26 means I shouldn't date someone younger than 26. I, I you know, I like the, the rule of seven is, is, is a fair enough yeah. rule, but I also think it's, it's, I don't know. I, people are at different stages of maturity in their life. And I believe this can go both ways as well. Like for example, there's rumors about Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles right now, which would be yes. sort of a reverse of the age gap or a reverse of the way we think about it in general. In gendered terms, or when uh, Demi Moore was dating Ashton Kutcher, there was like there was an age switch there. I just think, like in general, people should largely stay out of other people's bedrooms. If, if like from Absolutely. my perspective. Absolutely, and I know Twitter's having a field day when they broke up just because, oh, um, they're making assumptions about how just because she turned 25 recently, that means, you know, he's about to break up with her. Uh, so it, th- that is what's been floating around. But as as you said, make sure it's consensual and you're and you're good. Doesn't matter. Nizreen, I need a woman's perspective on this, though, because I know you and your girls, you love to talk. You love to chat about this over coffee, or over tea. What's like the overall consensus from you guys when you think about age gap? Like as you start hanging out with some of your friends in your sort of mid to late 20s, what are they saying is their cutoff? Uh, I mean, and it, for us, <laughs> for me, I think I would say no to over 10 years. So so somewhere, somewhere like over the late 30s, you'd be like, no, nah, that's it. So like if there was a four in, yeah. front, of, if there was a four in front of the guy's uh, number, you'd be like, no, nah, nobody in their 40s. Absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. a, that's a no for me just because I, it's it's just weird. 
Like, yeah, I listen. Like that's it's a dad's diff- friends thinking it, in my head. You know what I mean? I'm just not. It's not. For if me. somebody was old enough to be your babysitter, you know, like there's something like kind of like deeply awkward about it. Again, as I'm saying, like staying in people's bedrooms, but like you know, we can all acknowledge yeah. there's some awkwardity to that. Everybody oh, has their own preference, and that's the thing. Yeah, Eliza, I need another woman's perspective on this. Again, I'm not saying that necessarily you have to tell me your exact policy on this, but you spend yeah. some time hanging out with the girls, talking to the, talking to everybody about sort of their preferences. So Eliza, if you were at the table with your friends right now, what kind of responses would come out? What are some of these max numbers that would get tossed around? Well, a, a few of my friends might disagree. It depends on the group I'm with, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> I would say it, there's a lot of factors to it. Like if you have kids, is a significant other you're dating, are they younger than your kids? Ooh, good consideration. Ding, like, ding, ding. That's a, ooh. <laughs> That uh, does not sound great to me. But, like, it really depends on how old you are as well. Because if if you're 60 and you're dating a 50-year-old, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're 35 and you're dating, like, a 20-year-old, that feels a little weird to me. This conversation is making me feel a little bit seen. So I think it's time to wrap a bow on it. Uh, Eliza, thank you. Nazreen, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. No problem. That's all the time we have for the show today. I do want to remind you once again that as of tomorrow, September the 1st, Now with Dave Brown is going to be a TV-only live broadcast. So if you're listening at AMI.ca or you're listening on AMI-audio through your cable provider, got to find AMI-tv. Head over to AMI.ca. You can find our schedules. You punch in your postal code. It'll tell you what the number is on your cable box to watch it live. If you're listening at AMI.ca and you do not have cable, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, you're going to miss me. And I'm going to miss you too. But a couple hours after the show, bada bing, bada boom, podcast goes up on your favorite podcasting platform. You search for Now with Dave Brown. It's the low, low price of free 99. Then you listen to it on demand. Although I'm always encouraging you, full show, full show. Don't get bogged down in individual segments. Listen to the full show. That's the way to best appreciate Now with Dave Brown. All of the oddities, like talking about what age is too young to be dating someone i'm feeling very seen i'm going to get a speaking to in the post-show meeting so let's get out of here until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m eastern time i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.